Well, what a great work God does in all of our lives. We have so much to be grateful for, don't we, what he has done, the old person that we were and the new person that we become in Christ Jesus. Uh, this morning in our series, uh, The Walk, out of the book of Ephesians, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, get ready. Uh, we won't uh, have you stand just now, but uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 17 through 32. And I've titled this Basic Training. So we're going to take a look at uh, where, where you, who you were, who you are in Christ, and then what Christ is having us do right now. One of the things that I think is a misnomer about uh, Christianity that happens sometimes inadvertently in the circles of Christianity is that once you come and become a Christian and, and surrender your life and the old things pass away, all things become new, there becomes a, um, a malaise or a kind of like an apathy amongst Christians that, you know, we just, uh, we've done it. That's it. You know, we've arrived, we've punched our ticket to heaven and, and that's all there is to it. So we, be, we are just beginning basic training when we <laughs> came to Christ and here I am, uh, you know, almost 40 years, uh, well, 40 years into uh, basic training. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are all in basic training still for lifelong until we meet uh, Christ and he will finish that work. But we're always, he's always working on some things in us. Not the same things all the time. He should be getting better uh, and, and developing strengths in various areas, but he's always working on us, isn't he? Good morning, Church Online. Glad you guys are able to join us today. Grateful that you're here. And uh, we're, we're just excited about all the things that God has done. It smells like bacon around here and, and pancakes. And I told them that I had to change shirts because it smelled like bacon. And, and that was my perfume. And so men are more attracted to that than women. So I just needed to change my shirt um, so that my wife would go home with me. Um, <laughs> but 150 pieces of bacon and we, we took care of all of that. I don't have any idea how many pancakes. I want to say thank you to all the volunteers who helped do this and to those of you who bought tickets especially because you're not really buying a ticket for pancakes and, and uh, for bacon. I know you know that, uh, but you're buying it for these children and young people to be able to go to camp. And uh, that is life-changing and life-altering. Camp was, uh, for me, you know, so dynamic. It's where I met Michelle, you know, as uh, I had actually met her before, but it's where I really, she rose to value in my eyes because she was the queen of camp. Uh, literally, she was crowned queen of the camp. Uh, unfortunately, I was not the king, so I was kind of jealous of the guy standing by her. But, uh, you know, uh, all of these wonderful things that can happen for us at camp, and the most uh, wonderful is deepening our faith and our walk with Christ Jesus and coming into a, a better understanding of his calls in our lives. I can remember even after I had uh, camp was no longer, I was no longer a student in camp. I was a youth pastor, youth minister, so I was uh, bringing kids to camp. And uh, I remember one night that the altars flooded with kids, powerful message by the speaker, and, and uh, just kids just with all kinds of issues and things in their lives that were rushing to the front to, to see God minister to those needs. And it was overwhelming for those of us who were sponsors trying to pray for these kids. There was uh, 350 to 400 kids on camp, uh, and uh, they were all pressing in around the front. And 
you know, just watching and hearing the language and what was going on there and their hearts cry out to God. And I, I just prayed in that moment. I said, God, don't ever let me forget this picture. Don't ever let me forget what this is all about, what ministry is all about. And never let me uh, forget what's happening in hearts and lives as, as the word of God is preached, as people are challenged to make a deeper connection with him. You have your Bibles open then to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. And I will say this, that we have pushed, because of the pancake breakfast, uh, our communion Sunday to next Sunday. So uh, next Sunday we will receive uh, communion together normally every third Sunday. So uh, come prepared for that. We're taking a break. RJ will talk a little bit about it for Easter from the Ephesians series. This has just gone forever, hasn't it? <laughs> We're learning how to walk in the Lord. And every time I, I think that we should cut it, you know, I should cut it off and finish this series. God challenges me with some, some deeper learnings coming out of this. And so I want to take our time and walk through it. But we will have a break for Easter. There's a three series um, kind of message going uh, forth on Easter that we're excited about. And RJ will talk to you a little bit about that a little later. The walk, basic training. Stand with me for the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 17 in chapter 4. Paul speaking says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Uh, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This section right here begins the basic training aspect. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members, of, uh, members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you for it. And we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to bring life to words that are on a page. This is not just, uh, Lord, the... Uh, the, the, the written word, but it is life to us and sustenance as you bring it alive in our spirits. And so we pray, God, that you would do that this morning. Uh, 
And we're going to give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. We're a little ways into this, and I, I want to recap a little bit about where we are and what's going on in this particular setting. The city is Ephesus, to which Paul is writing itself as a large, multi-ethnic center of trade, commerce, and culture. In Greco-Roman world uh, of the first century, Ephesus was exceeded in population only by Rome and Alexandria. It was a capital uh, city of Roman province of Asia. Ephesus had approximately a quarter of a million people um, and uh, was a, an important seaport. In addition to having a significant Jewish community there, Ephesus was home to many Greeks, Romans, and other settlers from throughout the Mediterranean world. You can imagine travelers coming through there. Travelers and pilgrims from all over Rome uh, and the Roman world visited Ephesus in large numbers. Um, and uh, being a, a main trade route and having a key harbor added the picture that Ephesus is a bustling, multicultural city of trade and entertainment. There were medical colleges, renowned doctors, uh, and a large public library in Ephesus, as well as numerous shrines and statues. Uh, they also had an um, underground sewer system and an outdoor amphitheater, which uh, more people than, uh, could, could fit more people than in the Hollywood Bowl seats. Uh, affluent homes in Ephesus boasted amazing opulence, uh, split-level construction, uh, with floor space often exceeding 10,000 square feet. As far as the culture in Ephesus, Ephesus was pluralistic in every way. Uh, it is, uh, some of these things will be reminders of where we are living and what's going on right now, but many ethnic and cultural backgrounds were represented and religious pluralism was entrenched and embraced. So uh, moral beliefs like uh, religious ones were diverse and uh, considerable moral depravity was accepted. Uh, and and uh, it was okay. And we don't see that in our world today at all, do we? Um, the wide-ranging social acceptance was uh, maintained in the name of tolerance. Haven't heard that word before, have you? And <laughs> syncretism. Everything old is new again, <laughs> right? And so as a result, anyone claiming to have the right religion, the only God and the ultimate truth was bound to face uh, you know, rejection and, and social pressure persecution. And into this backdrop, God speaks to the church through Paul's writings in Ephesians. The theologian John McKay talks about the book of Ephesians, and I, I like what he said. I copied it down. He says, uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, he, he refers to it as the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate com uh, compendium of our holy Christian faith. And throughout the history, the resulting six chapters have, have brought countless people to the understanding of their place and their purpose of God and to the wonders of, of grace and peace. God's plan for the church is that his people would grow to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has given these gifts to the church to move us forward in unity and maturity. Every believer in Christ has undergone 
radical transformation from life to death. And, and in the book here, Paul talks about the old self and the new self. It is so radical that that's a way that, that he uh, likens it to. This was your old self, and now you're a new creation in Christ. And as, as the culture in, in which we live increasingly uh, marked by foolishness and godlessness, the church should demonstrate behavior that attests to the faith that we profess. We need to understand and, and what we believe and be practicing it, and that is what basic training is really all about. It's about coming into uh, the practice of Christianity and not just the knowledge of Christianity, right? So I want to open by just uh, taking this maybe three parts here quickly, the opening verses, uh, and I won't reread that, that section. I'll just hit the highlights, the big uh, dark, darkened letters or yellow letters, I guess, on your, um, uh, that we have up for you on the screen. What you were, what you were, he, he says, he begins by saying, uh, you know, that the Gentiles, when they didn't know Christ, and for all those who didn't know Christ, uh, their life was, uh, without Christ, was a futile life. A life that really didn't have any meaning. There's people that uh, today, your neighbors, friends who are not in Christ, who sit around from time to time and, and think through this. What is the purpose of, what is the meaning of life? Why am I continuously going through this rat race to get a paycheck and to put gas in my tank and, and watch prices ever increase all around me? And what, what, is, what is this all about? And, and why am I here and what's going on? And so Paul uh, just uses that language, futile. It's futile. He talks about the word darkened. It's darkened. It's, there's, there's no light on it. Uh, there, there, there is just a, a tunnel kind of view of, of where things should go or what, what's going on. And people are, get very philosophical at times about trying to think outside the box, but it's difficult when they're without Christ. They're just seeing in the darkness uh, the darkened areas. That's the wonder of coming into to light of Christianity. I've had uh, people who become Christians come up to me later in, you know, next week or the week after and say, Pastor, it's amazing, you know, since I've accepted Christ, the grass is greener. Well, the grass is not any greener. <laughs> what they're referring to is that there's been an illumination on, on life and on philosophical uh, views about meaning and purpose and everything else that suddenly begins to take shape for them, and they're seeing the world differently, right? Um, and Paul talks about them being alienated. A, a, a life without Christ is, is alienated. Not alienated necessarily like from one another. You can be in that. You get strife and anger and wrath and stuff like that. But alienated from the ultimate connection to purpose. The one who created you. The one who designed you. And there is often this sense of, of darkness and hopelessness when we come into crisis and situations and we're not with Christ, we're not in a relationship with God, that, that brings us to a place of feeling alienated. I don't know why I'm here or who I am or what I should be connected to. And then he says there's, there's, uh, there's ignorance. And, and I think it's interesting that that's tied to ignorance. Uh, you know, when I grew up, you, know, you were, you were you know, referring to ignorance, that would stir up some feelings. Somebody said, you're ignorant, you know, and it really shouldn't. It just means that we're unlearned in a particular area. You can't know everything, right? And uh, so, so Paul says their ignorance, though, is a willful ignorance. That's different. And it's happened as a result of their hardness of their heart. They have 
looked around, the testimony of Christ is not just in you and I going out. We have an obligation to witness and to share our faith with others. But the testimony of God is in the creation. Something from nothing. And, and all the wonders of what we look around at shout that there is a God. And there has been a willful hardness of heart in so many. They work so hard to not believe. I mean, they, they, they work, they read, they're challenged. Uh, I have a friend who, who grew up uh, in a Christian home, and, uh, and he, he had a, a, a secular education, and, and there was a guy there he deeply respected who used to be a Christian and fell away, and so he started his de deconstruction process and getting away from Christianity. But how hard has he had to work? It's amazing how hard it has been to work to disprove that there's a God. And uh, every time that, that there's a, a conversation between us or something that's going on, he's intrigued again and has to go find another uh, counter-argument to support what's going on. Ignorance as a result of the hardness of heart. Callous. Callousness that takes place as a result of the continual rejection of God. Decisions largely are guided by sensuality, Paul talks about there. That, uh, we, that, that without God, we're, we're really directed by sensuality and we're driven by what we think we need or what we think we want. I was reading uh, a, uh, an actor that all of you would know if I, I mentioned his name and his appraisal of his marriage. And he was, and he was saying basically that, uh, you know, he's, he's stuck in this trap of like happiness, which is so much of the world is like, like if we can do something to bring happiness or, you know, we have some kind of power to do that. And so, you know, he, he's, he was talking about his wife. I have no business, like, being with her until I take care of myself and make myself happy. And then I have something to bring to her. And that's the logic of the world, right? Like, the, that, you know, we have to get there. We have to get it, and then we can give it, right? And Jesus taught about what true love is really all about in the sacrifice. I'm going to give it, whether you accept it or receive it or not. While you were yet sinners, while you were contemplating your next act of sin, I died for you. It is, it is a radical, uh, totally uh, transformational kind of understanding about what Christianity is versus not having Christianity and not accepting Christ as Lord and leader of your life. Paul says they were greedy, but greedy to practice impurity. How we see that in our world right now, that there's a, and, and what it is, is like when, when all of this um, is empty, all of the things that you thought would bring you happiness, the wealth and the riches, and, and we see it happening, you know, amongst uh, those that are powerful and, and rich and wealthy, and they thought all of these things were going to bring them what uh, a fulfillment, and, you know, so they're greedy then to practice another thing that they think will help, and what else is on the cutting edge? What, what else would, would make me happy? You know, should I be married to more than one person? Should I, you know, should I have a, a relationship with a different person? Should I get rid of this person and bring another person into my life? And all of these kinds of solutions that lead to a, a greediness of practicing impurity. So that's what Paul says. That's what we were before we met Christ. And then he's, that second section, he goes into what you are in Christ. And he says, you put off the old self. You put off the old self. Of course, you know, 
it, it, is, it is God in us. It's Christ in us that helped us kill the old man, right? Kill the old nature. And, and so he, he walks through this with us and he said, you're dead to your old self. So what does it mean to be dead to your old self? Old habits, passions, attitudes are dead. They no longer have life. It's a, the, the person that was describing to me, the grass was greener. As you get into the conversation, it's like some of the things that they would, would have done, you know, before they met Christ that were just so natural to them as breathing. Now, now that it doesn't feel like that, they need to. They're not compelled to do that. They're not drawn in, in that direction anymore. Their passions have changed. Their attitudes have changed. Old habits are broken. And then, and then Paul says, your, your minds were renewed. You have a renewed mind. And the language used here is uh, the spirit of your mind. That means that the decision maker, your spirit, born again, which was dead. You know, uh, the triunity of man. You know, there is, there, we, we, have a, we have an outward body, right? Uh, a soul that lives forever, our mind, will, and emotions. And a spirit man that is born in Christ that becomes the decision maker. Comes the, the one who tells us here what is good and what is right. The, the Holy Spirit in empowering uh, our and, and, and giving direction to our spirit uh, to, to move in the direction that God would have us to move, to move in obedience. And then he says, you, you put on a new self. That is the imago Dei, the likeness of Christ. That's what you were created in the beginning and, and you killed in sin. And, and there's a resurrection of that. And God says that, that you are beginning to look like me again. Like I originally created you. you. The Imago Dei, the image of God. You're beginning to look like me again. And that's what happens as we receive Christ. How many of you are so thankful that you look different and act different and think different in Christ? Amen. All right. So let's walk through the basic training. I said there was apathy that creeps in. Um, when we become Christians, we're like, we're done. I punched my ticket to heaven. I'm on my way. There's nothing else to do. That's all there is to it, right? And Paul opens up by saying, put away falsehood. Now, this is a key and important first understanding of our walk with Christ. That it is based and built in truth. He said, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. It is, an, it, is an, it is a key understanding for us in Christianity that truth is, is not just a set of facts. Truth is embodied in Christ Jesus. He's the one that set the standards for what truth is. You believe in gravity? It was created by God. And when you, when you believe in, in gravity is, as truth, good for you, Believe in God. He's the one that created it, right? He's the one that established it. And, and so when we are acting out in falsehood, we're resembling no longer the, the, um, the one who has created us, but we're resembling the one who is the father of lies. So here we are in basic training. This is uh, not a nine-week course. It's a lifetime fitness training. And, and, and here in no subtle terms, God is calling uh, us to live towards uh, this out in our lives and toward the world that the world can see a different way of living. Now, as we've gone through the book of Ephesians, we found out that he called you, that he's forgiven you, that he's, he's gifted you, he's equipped you, and he's empowered you. 
And, uh, and now he expects you to, number one, put away falsehood, right? Put away falsehood. We're beginning the workout, and so here, here we're going we're gonna to work on telling the truth. So for some of us, you know, lying, uh, white lies and things like that, it, before we knew Christ, it was, it was just like breathing. I mean, it was like, let's don't hurt somebody's feelings. Let's just sugarcoat this a little bit. And he's saying, get rid of it. Put away falsehood. Don't have anything to do with the father of lies. In, in the second one here, he says, which is, ties in, is so important, do not sin. Well, that's good advice, right? <laughs> but hard. <laughs> um, because there's a tempter, right? But he says, here's how you do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. Don't hear his arguments. Don't listen to them. In, in other passages of Scripture, it, takes, it, it talks to us about taking every thought captive and putting it underneath the feet of Jesus. It, it isn't a sin for a thought to enter your mind that is a sinful thought. It is a sin for us to dwell on it, build on it, think about how we might uh, make it happen, and then act on it, right? So there are sins of omission and commission and and uh, th th this, is, this is all stopped, he says, by not giving the enemy any place. Take that captive, put it underneath the feet of Jesus, and, and, and then it becomes easy to escape the sin trap, the temptation that's going on in our lives. God always prepares a way of escape. God always prepares a way of escape. You have to want it. You have to make, uh, make a path towards it. You know, Joseph, uh, in, in uh, the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we learn about Joseph, and Joseph was taken into uh, Potiphar's house. Uh, he was a, a servant. He was uh, a house servant, so he did all work in the house. And Potiphar would go off to work, and Joseph was alone with his wife. His wife found Joseph attractive. Uh, she tried to bring him into her bed, and Joseph ran. <laughs> I mean, he ran. He bolted for the door and took off. Now, he still got blamed. She accused him. He wound up serving some time in prison, but he didn't commit the sin. God prepared a way of escape. Two legs. Get going. Move. Right? Do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. The third one here is he says, no longer steal. And I want to stop right there because, you know, um, I would say every one of us in this room at one time or another, knowingly or unknowingly, have stolen something, but we don't think of ourselves as thieves, right? Whether we stole time from the time clock or, you know, um, we just took something that we, you know, didn't belong to us, or we found something and didn't turn it in, or uh, we, we got outside of, of, of Walmart and the thing that we didn't check, you know, uh, all of the sodas on the bottom or something, you know, uh, oh man, I didn't check those out. Free sodas. Um, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, big, small, whatever. Paul says that it's important for us to learn not to steal, to, to do honest work. You see, you see, this is about us. It's about what, about, you know, God creating a good home inside of us and creating a better person, a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better daughter. But it is, it is also about others who watch our lives. Someone this week uh, uh, told me the story of having taken some things back that 
just had that experience where they had checked out, checked themselves out. And I want my 401k plan from Walmart, by the way. <laughs> you do a few hundred dollars worth of groceries, and I'm telling you what, man, you feel like an employee. And, uh, but they had gone out with uh, a little bit, you know, $20 worth of free stuff, you know, and, and discovered it and came back. And I said, the person almost fell over. Like, they almost fainted. Like, what? Like, who does this? And it was such a testimony to that person. Like, well, what kind of person does that? Like, who, who in the world brings something back and pays for it? Like, that, that's, that's strange. And, and Paul says it's important for us to do that because... Uh, and, and, you know, we do honest work that we, dis- we show to the world that we are those who, who are honest people. We do what is right in the sight of our Lord. We are looking at another judge, not at the, you know, not at the security cameras of, of Walmart, but our judge is higher than the security cameras of Walmart. And so we want to come back and do what is right and help you understand that. This is a tough one, the next one Paul says, basic training, right? And I mean, basic training for any of you guys. How many of you guys were in the military present here? Okay, so you know this did not happen. <laughs> no corrupt talk, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I've been told. <laughs> and the military can finish all those, and we don't want to. Uh, the Bible says no corrupt talk. No corrupt talk. It is talking about the obvious. There are people who use uh, profanity as uh, adjectives. And I had some of those friends growing up. Um, And uh, it is obvious there, but it is also the corrupt talk that we can get involved in with one another that that is nothing but but tearing down the fabric of, of humanity and people around us. It is so destructive. And Paul said it's so important. James bears down on this about the tongue and and what a powerful weapon it is and how destructive it is. Listen, there are some of you sitting in this this room right now that you still remember something that was said to you when you were in seventh grade, when you were in sixth grade, fifth grade, high school. And it it has tormented you. It has driven you to, to do something different in your life because somebody said something. The power of language and words is incredible. And Paul says part of your basic training is learning to obliterate corrupt talk. Lift one another up and encourage one another. Do not get caught up in a culture of corrupt talk, whether that is, you know, profanity that's going on or just the tearing down through gossip and and, uh, tearing down the fabric of somebody so that you feel like you can bring them down to your level. You feel down. You want them down as well. Whatever it might be, Paul says, get rid of it. This is basic training in Christ. We don't do that. That's not a part of our walk with Christ. And then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There are things that we do that grieve the Holy Spirit and and our, our refusal really to participate in worship is, is grieving to the Holy Spirit. When he invites us, and I'm not just talking about our worship service here, which is one opportunity for us to do it corporately, right? To just worship God in freedom, not worrying about what other people are going to think. God says, you know, 
lift your hands and surrender to me. You feel okay to do that or whatever. That's one aspect of us, you know, um, and it is the corporate side of us, you know, um, being engaged in uh, not uh, grieving the heart of the Holy Spirit. But in, in, in those private moments when God's calling us, when you're driving down the road, when, you're, when you have these encounters with God and, and, and you, you're dismissive about it or, or you have God's invitation to get engaged, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to get engaged in conversations with someone about their future and their life uh, without Christ or, or, you know, all kinds of opportunities where the Holy Spirit is calling us to obedience and we grieve the Holy Spirit by refusing flat out saying no. God says, don't do it. Part of your basic training is learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. had an exercise when I was in um, undergrad um, and uh, a major in pastoral ministries. And one of the classes that I had, they, they wanted us to, for a, a week solid, take notes on encounters with the Holy Spirit. And so, I mean, I've grown up in church and I, I, I recognize the Holy Spirit's probably interacting with me on a daily basis, but I hadn't really given deep thought to that. And I thought I would think, well, there's probably several days will pass. I might just have a couple of journal entries, you know, one on Sunday for sure, right? I had this encounter, great worship. And then maybe somewhere along the week, you know, I have another encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was amazing to me when I paid attention to it and I was making journaling notes on how many encounters I was having with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. What, what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday looked like. I'll just give you one, one example in particular, but... Uh, we're going to, uh, throughout the week, God's, you know, I'm, I'm really heightened to the fact that God is speaking. He's leading and guiding me. It was a Thursday, uh, I think, uh, we had gone to Michelle's parents uh, for dinner, and, and we're driving home, traditional way that we always drive home. And I felt prompted, prompted by God, like, you know, uh, not like this audible voice or something, that, but just, just influenced, if you will, that I should not take the route we normally take, but I should turn down this road and, and catch the, the main road from a different angle. And so I listened to it. I thought, I'm going to journal this because I, I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. I drove down about a block, and on our, our left-hand side, there was a, a row of townhouses, and uh, this, this uh, guy's house is on uh, the front, his bushes and, and lawn and stuff is on fire. It just, just started, and it's, it's going pretty good. And uh, so I jump out, we grab the hose, he comes out, uh, you know, about that time, and uh, he'd gone in the house, you know, to get a refreshment, and uh, had come out that, and to see this fire, you know, like blazing, and we're hosing it down. He grabs a blanket and starts putting things out, puts the fire out. What had happened was he had oil on his driveway, and he had started this fire, and uh, it was burning, and it kind of looked like it had kind of burned down, and he went in the house to get something to drink, came back out. <laughs> Another like few minutes, the house is on fire. One of the posts was starting to burn on the front of his house. And I firmly believe that God had us make that, that detour so we could be a part of the solution. We could, we could help. We could be there in that moment to, to help provide an, 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 a remedy to that situation. So it was amazing to me to see how many encounters that I was having with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, uh, finally, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. If there is ever a picture of what we are to be as Christians that is costless, right? Uh, it's costless to us. 
to be kind, to be tenderhearted, to be forgiving. And, and I know there are those of you who have been wounded and, it, and that forgiveness thing is, is difficult until you remember that you have been forgiven, right? Go look in the mirror first and see the wonder of the forgiveness of God over your life. What you could have been, what you did that other people don't know anything about, that Christ forgave completely, washed away. And then forgiveness somehow becomes a little bit easier. Pastor, uh, early in my ministry that I worked for, uh, had a chance to write a thank you letter to him this week. He's 92 years old, Pastor James Easton. And uh, he had preached a message on the formula for, for forgiving, right? And he says that the true forgiveness comes from us forgetting. That's what, that was what Christ did for us. That's what he does for us. He forgets. Like, wait, no way. There's no way I can forget that. It's, and, and this was beautiful what he said. He said, when you want to remember something, there's a formula for it. You repeat it, right, to yourself over and over again to remember it. How many of you stayed up late at night taking tests that way? <laughs> Cramming the night before. Repeated it. Rehearsed it. Maybe bring somebody else in. Let me act this out for you. Rehearsed it, right? And then you relived it. You thought, where was I when I saw that on the page? And what did things look like? What did, this, what did it smell like? You know, what, uh, what was I thinking that, that connected me with that thought? And, and uh, so you're reliving, rehearsing, and repeating. He said, if you want to forget... You stop reliving, you stop rehearsing, and you stop repeating. And pretty soon, you forget. The anguish and the pain, maybe, maybe you never completely forget something that happened to you, but the anguish and the pain start drifting away. You know, we feel this obligation that we, we've got to, we got to re, you know, rehearse this and relive it. You know, in front of our friends, we tell them, and we, you know, we even use the same voice, you know, that I, I said to them, you know, uh, what are you doing here? And they said, what do you mean, what am I doing here? You know, I mean, it's like, we're good at it. We're actors, right? <laughs> we can rehearse things so well. And when we let go of it, it gets easier to forgive. Be kind, tenderhearted. This is character building is what's going on. We're developing character. I'm inviting our worship team to come back. When we surrendered our lives to Christ Jesus, something happened, uh, some things that in our life happened instantaneously. There was instant forgiveness. Instantly we were born again. Instantly made a member of the body of Christ. Instantly our minds are, were transformed. Instantly we were freed from the slavery of, to the father of lies. Other things inside of us... Um, you know, uh, daily they are a work of progress uh, in, our, in our lives, and that's called, the theological term for it is sanctification. It's, it's an ongoing work that's taking place in basic training, right? God is doing things uh, day by day. Some things happen instantaneously. Other things, they're a work in progress. God's working on us. We're developing a moral character that is Christ-like, that's killing out our old nature that was Satan-like. And our instructor is the Holy Spirit leading us to obedience in God's Word. And I want to say this, and I want you to remember it. We have it on our uh, PowerPoint here. 
our character reveals how often we visit God's gym. If you want to know how you're doing in basic training, uh, take a good look at your character. Your character is revealing how often you've been visiting God's gym. You may have a gym membership, but you're not showing up and growing up and becoming what God wants you to become. Will you stand with me? Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are in your hands today. You evaluate us as David asked, Lord, that you would search our hearts and know our thoughts. See if there are any wicked ways in us that need to be dealt with. How are we doing in basic training? For some of us, we, we have a, a pretty good idea that we need to work at it a little more. We've been a little apathetic. We've been sitting on the couch, remote kind of Christianity. But God, we need to get activated in it. We are members of your gym. We need to show up, to grow up, to be all that you've called us to be. So Father, I'm asking that you would deal with our hearts and lives, all of us across the spectrum. What do we need to work on? What are you challenging us with? And let us make this a place of surrender for that right now in Jesus' name. As we worship together, let's make that our prayer. Lord, I surrender and give to you that I might become all that you want me to be.